Uh, all right, so now we're to the sermon, and I already told you that we're going to be doing something different today. Uh, and in order to sort of get us to where we're going today, I need to take just one second and revisit a little bit the sermon from last week. Okay, and I want to do something here. The first thing I want to do, I'll make it more clear how it ties in the sermon in just a second, but let me say something. That sermon last week was incredibly important to me. It's something that's been brewing in my heart for, for literally decades. And I have to say, I, think, I, want, I hope everybody listens to it. I really do. And everybody that talked to me said it was fantastic, and I think it really was, and I think God was in it, and it was good, and please listen to it. It'll, it'll go into some important things. But I have to say, I might do it differently. No, I'm not might. I would do it differently. And the reason why was because to me, I was sort of trying to do something that was a little bit of a magnum opus. Do you know what that means? Uh, it, it's the idea of a position paper. Okay, it's kind of a summing up of what you believe about these things. And so consequently, I put too much into it. And I, you, you, this is not a sermon you could even hardly listen to because there's too much material. You really would have to watch in order to keep it clear what I'm talking about at any one particular point. If I had to do it over again, and I'm, I'm giving this to the benefit of somebody who would now go back and watch it, I, I, would, I, would, I would not worry about, as I was, the theology that might be perceived by, say, people in Foursquare, who I was meaning to talk to through that sermon, the theology for people who are complementarians, meaning that women cannot preach in church, and I was trying to hit them, and I was trying to do all of these theological things so they would know that I was coming from a particular place. And that particular place is deeply conservative. This is a church that believes that the word is the word of God, this is a church that believes that God breathed that word and it is alive and real. And so we have a very serious problem in this church in that in 1 Timothy it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority. And yet we have women teaching from here all the time. You can argue about the authority part, but who cares? Because the point is, the bottom line is, is we let that happen. We not let that happen. We I go after that. Well, how can I believe that it's a God breathe and still have that happen? Those two things don't fit together, do they? If I had to do the sermon over again, what I would do is, is, and I did this in the sermon, it was just that it was long and by that time I had to sort of go a little quicker or we would have been here till Tuesday. So what happened was, is I would have argued for paradox, which I did. But what I would have argued for is, is that one side of the paradox is 1 Timothy. The other side of the paradox is virtually everything else he said. And the one side of the paradox that's Timothy needs to be respected. Incredibly needs to be respected. Remember how I talk about paradoxes. I always say, God is three and God is one. You do not get to the truth by reducing his threeness or his oneness so that it lines up with the other one. You do not get to the truth that way. You lose truth when you reduce truth. Period. It's tautology, right? It's just logic. What you do with a paradox is you push the paradox because both are true, even though to our minds they seem contradictory. So we've got, as I argued last week, we've got, we've got at the garden, we've got a problem that happened in what happened with the fall. And we have coming out of that a thing that God has done between the roles of men and women and headship and leadership and following and all this stuff. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the sermon. But what I mean is, is because of the fall, 
we have this thing that would lead Paul to say, I do not permit a woman to preach or to teach and to have authority. And that's why he says that, because of the fall. But then what we did is we showed that there's a bigger context. All these other things that God said, including the equality that was shown in the garden to begin with and the equality which is clearly in the heavenlies, where there is no her under him. That's and him over her. There's none of that in the heavenlies. There isn't. And the thing that I argue, the thing I meant to argue yet last week was, you push the truths of both things. You cannot, we cannot, as a conservative church, we cannot simply walk away from what God said through Paul. Because it has to do with the fall, and it's something that's important for us to hold on to. And if we fail to hold on to it, we will get into an error, a serious error. But when we hold on to what Timothy says, there is this other thing that happens, which is the fullness of what God says, including the idea that God is trying to bring us into the heavenly experience even now. Which is to say that women ought to be using everything that God created them to be. And more deeply, that men should be raising them up to be everything that God has called them to be. Not standing in their way, and not doing what I would consider to be a superficial reading, a simplistic reading, taking one scripture and getting it out of balance with everything else. I think you have to hold on to the whole of things, and the sign of a healthy mind is the ability to hold both sides of a paradox in your mind. That's, that, right, that's a truth. When you can hold two things that seem contradictory, but they're not, in truth, and you can hold them and push the truth of them both. Now that would have been the sermon I should have preached last week. It would have been much simpler. It would have been shorter. And so sorry about that. But those who are going to watch it now, you have an advantage because you'll know what the heck it is I'm talking about. Okay? But here's why I bring that up right now. Not just because I want to correct the sermon. But the reason why I bring that up right now is, is look what we're talking about. The sign of a healthy mind is the ability to hold both sides of a paradox in your mind. The thought process, a lot of people here were here last week and don't even remember what I was talked about last week. There's, there's this thing about thinking that is changing rapidly. I, you, do, you never want to come into my mind. It is a scary place, okay? <laughs> but if you did, I think, the thing that, I think the thing that everybody would be shocked, truly shocked about, is when I picture my thoughts, I picture them as, you know, Jungle Gym, you know what it's like with all the bars going across and all the connectors and everything else. I picture it as a great, big, huge, three-dimensional with the bars going across and ultimately everything is connected to everything else. And ever, now watch this. Now this is, this is my German blood, okay? The anal retentiveness of a, of a, yes, there you go, okay? The anal retentiveness of Germans demanding a leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. And, if, and I'm telling you, every thought, this is really true with me. That's why you don't want to be in here. Every thought that I ever have goes into that three-dimensional structure and hangs in a particular place for a particular reason. And it is connected with every single other thought, theology, idea, philosophy, concept, behavior, everything. It's connected with everything else in my life. 
to the point that if I put something and I try to hang it there and I go, it doesn't fit. It's at odds with something else. I'll start working on, is there something wrong with how I think about that thing or is there something wrong that I've thought about other things? And I'll start rejiggering them and reorienting them so that this, where I'm hanging this piece now fits properly and is consistent with all other truths. The idea of truth, I know, is a little bit hazy at this point in time, right? Relativism. The idea, you have a truth and I have a truth. There is no such thing as that. Truth is truth. I get context, I'm a phenomenologist, that doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean a lot to me. And what it means is, is I ought to be the most relativistic person in here. And yet what I see in phenomenology is, is that ultimately, underneath everything, there is this consistency that exists and from which everything else must flow. And that, to me, is God. Now, when I say that, the reason why I'm saying that for today is because I want you to understand that the way that I just describe myself as thinking is actually becoming, de rigueur would be the French word, it, it means out of favor. It's not just out of favor, we are literally through technology changing the way that our brains think. Now this has been being looked at by a lot of people in a lot of very serious ways. So I'm not just talking about somebody saying, oh, you're distracted or whatever. I'm talking about people are watching the way that people process information and what they're seeing is, is unlike the whole of human history, there's a change happening now. And we all, every generation is different than the last, we get that. But the change is this, distraction. It's doing something to us. Here's, here's James Brooks, I'm, uh, David Brooks, excuse me. David Brooks is a, is a, some of you know who he is. He's a, he's a commentator about social things and, and, and just the culture and so on. And he's one of the more astute guys you may not agree with. I don't agree with everything that he says. But bottom line is, he's arguing in this thing, building attention span. He's arguing about a principle, and here's the principle. There is this idea that has been in psychology and the understanding of the brain now for many, many years, way before technology even. And that is that there's two types of knowledge. One is what we would call crystallized. That would essentially be what I just described to you about how I hang things and I work them until they're consistent with each other. Because then they become somewhat fixed as to what they mean, as to what they are. That's crystallized, okay, like a crystal. It's organized, logical, reasoning. But there's another kind of knowledge which everybody starts with and that's called fluid. And fluid means your idea and your understanding of a thing is changing all the time. When you're a baby and you start learning stuff, you don't have that three-dimensional structure, right? In fact, what you do, what people do over the course of a lifetime is take things that they're learning fluidly, dynamics, all this kind of stuff, and then they move them into crystallized knowledge, understanding, so that they learn more and more and more and they become smarter and wiser and more understanding and so on. That's what, that's what the normal process is. But here's what's happening and people are taking those two terms and they're changing them a little bit right now because it's a handy little way of describing what's happening. And that's this. Crystallized knowledge is de rigueur. It's out, not, in, not because it's out of fashion, but because what's happening is information's coming at us so fast that you don't have time to 
understand how it fits in the fullness of things. And therefore, what's happening in fluid knowledge, this is the new thing right here. In fluid knowledge, what you're getting is all of a sudden, you're getting things being a packet. They're their own thing. You have an emotional response to them. You come up with an intellectual reason why it's true, and it gets packaged and wrapped and nicely bow-tied, and that idea is that thing, and that's what it is, and that's what it is. See that? And then it just goes off into the ether. Texted, Facebooked, whatever. Now, I'm gonna show you an example of this kind of thing taking place in a little modern family. If you don't watch it, that's probably better for you. Uh, but the bottom line is I wanna show you a little clip from Modern Family, which is, the, it, sh it just is, how many people when you're on the phone will sometimes maybe look at a website? So you're multitasking. We multitask, that's what we call it, right? So how many, nobody's ever done that in here because everybody's so respectful of the person on the other end of the line. That, you know, okay, so this is just a little cute little clip that shows us the level of distraction that we're starting to live in. Hello. Hey, Dad. Dad, take the phone away from your ear. Why would I do this now? I can't hear you. Put it in front of your face. Oh. Oh. How'd you get my phone? Does this mean when we talked the other day that you knew I was in the can? I do now. How was the presentation? Actually went really well. The client loves the whole redesign. They just want us to swap out the handles. Damn it. I know. Only knobs want knobs. No. Joe bit me. He's teething. I don't think it's a coincidence that Andy took the weekend off. Ow! Kid's like a beaver. I'm afraid to wear short pants. Hola, Claire. Hey, Gloria. How's your trip? Are you having any fun? Uh, yeah, you know, it's a little windy, but... Uh. <laughs> so you're okay with me cutting Luke's hair, right? Hey, Mom. Well, hello. It's nice to know you're not dead in an alley somewhere. Right back at you. Yes, I'm fine with you cutting his hair. Just don't leave it too long on the sides. I am very good cutting boys' hair. You should let me cut yours someday. Okay, bye-bye, Gloria. You still there? Crap. Dad, did you know it was Mitchell's birthday today? Of course, I already called him. Because I'm a considerate person who really cares about his family. I reminded him and dialed the phone. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was actually another clip that I couldn't find that was even better, where she was literally just doing like three things at once, a total multitask, right? now. Let me, let me just show you so that we can just really get this concept down because this is, we're gonna do something with this today that's important. I'll explain why in a second. Being online is like being part of the greatest cocktail party ever and it's going on all the time. If you email, text, tweet, Facebook, Instagram, or just follow internet links, you have access to an ever-changing universe of social touch points. It's like you're circulating within an infinite throng with instant access to people you'd almost never meet in real life. This mode of interaction nurtures mental agility. The ease of movement on the web encourages you to skim ahead and get the gist. You do well in social media and interactive gaming when you can engage and then quickly disengage with grace. This fast, frictionless world rewards the quick perception, the instant evaluation, the clever performance. As the neuroscientist Susan Greenfield writes in her book, Mind Change, expert online gamers have a great capacity for short-term memory, to process multiple objects simultaneously, to switch flexibly between tasks, and to quickly process rapidly presented information. Gamers know this, right? 
Offline learning at its best is more like I'm being a member of a book club than a cocktail party. When you're offline, you're not in constant contact with the universe. There are periods of solitary reading and thinking and then more intentional gatherings to talk and compare. Research at the University of Oslo and elsewhere suggests that people read a printed page differently than they read off a screen. You know, let me just tell you what they just said. If you read the same information off a printed page versus off of a computer screen, you read it differently. On the printed page, you read the words and the thoughts and you think about them. On the other page, you skim it and get the gist of it and you literally read it differently and, let's be clear, you're multitasking a thousand other things because that thing that you're reading is covered by ads that have been targeted at you and that's why Google is one of the largest companies in the world. Ads and information to get you to do something else in their universe, to get you to do what they want you to do. You see it? Okay? So when, you're, when you do that, elsewhere suggests that people don't read a printer page. They're more linear when you're doing it crystallized, when you're doing reading, more intentional. You're less likely to multitask or browse for keywords. The slowness of solitary reading or thinking means you are not as concerned with each individual piece of data. You're more concerned with how different pieces of data fit together. How does this process relate to that? You're concerned with the narrative shape, the synthesizing theory or the, theory or the overall context. You have time to see how one thing layers onto another, producing mixed emotion, ironies, paradoxes. You have time to lose yourself in another's complex environment. As Greenfield puts it, by observing what happens, by following the linear path of a story, we can convert information into knowledge in a way that emphasizing fast response and constant stimulation cannot. So just one more on this. Crystallized intelligence is the ability to use experience, knowledge, and the products of lifelong education that have been stored in the long-term memory. It's the ability to make analogies and comparisons about things that you have studied before. Crystallized intelligence accumulates over the years and leads ultimately to understanding and wisdom. The online world is, a brand, new, is brand new, but feels more fun, effortless, and natural than the offline world of reading and discussion. It nurtures agility, but there's clear evidence by now that it encourages a fast mental rhythm that undermines the ability to explore narrative and place people, ideas, and events in a wider context. You see that? What this means in practical terms is our world is becoming filled with what we might call cognitive dissonance. That's defined as the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude changes. Let me show you a couple. Who's this? Cecil. Everybody knows Cecil, right? Unless you really are just a book learner. Cecil? Cecil? Yes, it's in English. Oh, thank you. All right. So, 
So, and this is a tragic story. I know that there's all kinds of other ideas and thoughts that have now surrounded it because it becomes one of those things. But the bottom line is, is it's a tragedy that this lion that was in a protected place was lured out and was killed in a way that was pretty gruesome on the animal, right? I mean, it's tough. If you're not a big game hunter and you can argue the things about money going in and protecting species and thinning of herds and you know, all that stuff, that's just the logic of it. But the bottom line is, there's an emotional component to a beloved animal that gets killed. There is. Right? We need to recognize that, and we do recognize that. So in our fast-paced world, Cecil gets killed, and it's tragic. It makes you feel bad. Here's the cognitive dissonance. The dentist that killed him is now having to hire security because he's getting death threats. Here's the cognitive dissonance. I feel badly that this lion was killed, and so I'm going to kill somebody. Do you see it? Those two thoughts, ought, they, you, ought to, you ought to have some problem fitting them together. <laughs> but we don't. You can have full emotional resonance on Cecil and just as much full emotional resonance on the fact that this guy ought to be punished harshly. You see it? And you can make the logical leap between them. I got it. But let's just go to another one, okay? This is LGBTQ. This is not another gay sermon, okay, or about gay stuff. But I just want to show you this is something that happened a while ago, right? This is the guy from Mozilla who years before had made a contribution to Prop 8, which was the, the same-sex marriage won't be allowed in California measurement, which actually won, but they got overturned by the courts, and now it's gone, right? The point is this guy made a contribution. People found out about it. And he did resign, but that was because they were drumming him out. And not just the gay community, but they're on his own board. So he resigned just to save face. They gave him that ability, but he essentially got fired. So here's the cognitive dissonance. You made a contribution because you're not tolerant of the way that I'm made, who I am. You're not tolerant of me. So I'm going to intolerantly get you fired. That's a cognitive dissonance. Even Andrew Sullivan, the, one of the fathers of same-sex marriage, when the LGBTQ community got together and said, we're losing the battle, which they were, how do we win it? It was Andrew Sullivan and a couple of guys that said, if we make, same, if we make LGBTQ issues about love and marriage, will win the culture, which they have. And Andrew Sullivan was one of the guys that did this. So he was clearly not in favor of what the Mozilla guy did. But even Andrew Sullivan came out and said, cognitive dissonance. We wanted compassion from a community that was not being compassionate towards us, and so what we showed was hatred. Cognitive dissonance. These two things ought not be together. We, ought, we can do that, though, can't we? We can hold two ideas like that, and it's only when you put them in relief that you go, oh, there might be, I might need to do a little more work on this, right? You don't have to go to big issues like this. Anybody know who that is? Come on, country fans. Come on, this is Florida Georgia Line, okay? Woo! Okay, now, my daughter got me into country music, and I'm sure I'm dumber for it, but I don't care, because I like it, okay? 
And the bottom line is, is these guys have blown up. And these guys are incredibly good Christians. You hear their story. You hear where they come from. You hear what they do in their own personal lives, even to today. These guys are experiencing phenomenal wealth and, and favor and all this kind of stuff. And the morality that they still keep in their own lives is incredible. And these guys are exemplary Christians. Except for the fact that almost every song they sing is about getting drunk and hooking up. Cognitive dissonance. See? Their personal life and their music are coming from two entirely different places. So this is what we're going to be looking at today. Not necessarily just cognitive dissonance. Here's, here's what we're really going after. This is why we're doing this. We're still empowered. And what we're going after is this. We're going after how do you interact with a culture that is cognitively dissonant. You're trying to argue reason. You're trying to argue logic. You're trying to argue B has to follow A and C has to follow B and D has to follow C in order to get to E. And they just think that that's just a waste of time and you're stupid. This isn't, your logic is not winning anybody, is it? We've known this now for quite a while. But now we've got reasons why. Because this isn't how people are processing information anymore. So what we're going to do is, now watch, this is the zeitgeist. You know, zeitgeist means the spirit of the age. Okay? Now watch. The spirit of the age, this is affecting everybody here. I'm 59, and, you know, at least once in the last week, and only once, I might have texted something when I was listening to a phone call. <laughs> might. Okay? I was paying total attention. There you go, thank you. But, but what I want to do is see the zeitgeist is, is we're all being rewired by this constant distraction, by this, by this packeted information that doesn't have time to go get hung up in the three-dimensional structure. Now, what we could do is we could just talk about all of us, but you know me, I'm still I'm trying to find a way to make this body and the body life take on a whole new life. So I'm gonna try something today. And what I've done is, is that I've approached a bunch of 20s, and we ha there were several more that I could have approached. We have a strong contingent of 20-year-olds here, and these guys are wonderful. And they get cognitive dissonance, and they get this, and so on. But the reason why I'm, doing, why I'm picking 20s is this, is because as a 59-year-old, I have this background of the crystallized knowledge and now I'm getting cognitively dissonated, if that was a word. Okay? Now I'm having this other thing happen. I want you to see something that I see all the time. When you really talk with a 20-something, I mean when they'll actually talk to you, because here's what 20-somethings do all the time with older people, all the time. They know what you want to hear and they tell you what you want to hear. This is the truth. This is true. Because they actually don't think the way that you think at all. They, they don't think the way that you think. Not just what, but their whole process is different. And I want you to hear from the mouths of kids that have grown up with this distraction, with this new way of learning, I want you to hear from them how they're processing all of this. Because I want us to become equipped to be able to interact with our culture. 
I want us to become knowledgeable. I don't want us to be the, the grandmother that went to the record store, like there is such a thing. They're coming back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or Spotify. You know? Okay? But you get the point. You know what I mean? The grandmother that goes to the record store and asks the kid what's hip. You know? So that she can buy it for her grandkid. I want us to be the people that actually get what's going on, not just in the head of young people, because as I've been saying, we're going to get it more, more nakedly from these people. But I want you to understand it's happening in everybody that you know. This cognitive dissonance, this way of thinking, this new thing is happening, is happening all over. So I want us to deal with that. So we're going to take some time and we're going to have a little panel doing that. So right now, uh, Eric Lee, you pray and could the panel come on up, okay? That might have been the longest intro ever. <laughs> well, God... Um, pray that you put your hand on all the people who are coming up right now and that's, uh, that you would speak through all these people and uh, through Kurt just to show us new things, to show us how you want to speak to us, to speak through us, and so we can relate better and more strongly to our world, a world that is changing and seems to be leaving us behind in a lot of ways, but God, we know that you are... You have a plan. You have a plan for us to relate to our world. And pray that you'd show, that, show us what that is this morning. Thank you, uh, and God, for praying for another church, I pray for the church in Kansas City that the halls are attending right now. Thank you, Lord. That they would uh, just really benefit from the experience of having uh, the halls there, that they would uh, be excited to get up out of their seats and to, uh, to go out and work out their lives just like uh, Lyle demonstrates every day. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Okay. Uh, just, just what we're going to be doing is shifting the mics. Yeah, thank you for that, Andrew. We didn't realize how much different heights we'd end up with on the stools. So, yeah, this is much better. No, we're not. All right, just, just give your names, and we'll start here and just pass the mic on down, okay? Hello, my name. Here you go. Start at that end. Is it on? Now it is. I don't know how to turn it on. Right here, please. Um, wait, what were you answering? Just your name. Oh, hi, I'm Liz. I'm Christy. I'm Tim. I'm Josh. Andrew. Matt. Savannah. Amber. There you go. All right. So now, like I say, there's several other 20-year-olds that I could have asked and so on. This was just, you know, all right. So thank you guys for being here. Now, one of the things that I did was, and this is, you guys have to hang on to this, right? Nobody gets to judge them for anything that they say here today. If, if you do that, we're not going to learn anything, right? What we need to do is I need them to be able to feel free and safe. So they can actually answer the way that they actually are processing so that you can actually learn what's happening, okay? So do, you, do we get it, all right? No, no Facebook or just, you know, if God wants you to correct it, do so in like three or four months where they don't remember it was from this conversation, okay? All right, 
So here we go. All right, the first question that I want to ask is, is, is I put Florida Georgia Line up there. First of all, how many of you are real Christians and know about country music? Okay. How many know about country? Nobody? I, I didn't know about that. I, I'm being aware of it. <laughs> You're aware of country music? It's a, yeah, it's that's a, what I meant. <laughs> What's that? I do listen to country music, just not, not for stuff. Oh, really? Not yeah. the pop stuff. Not the superficial stuff that I listen to. Yeah, not the bro country. I got it. Not the bro country. Okay, I got it. Okay. All right. Now, I, I want to ask you a question, though. Whatever music that you listen to, well, you tell me. How many of you listen to music that is filled with content that isn't necessarily godly, but you do listen to it on a regular basis? Just show your hands. Okay. Uh, was it Josh? Only Josh said no? What do you listen to? Go ahead. Uh, mostly I listen to some Christian metal bands that I've uh, picked up like 10 years ago and whatnot, and well, then just like movie soundtrack kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, good. All right, now, you listen to music that is filled with content. Why? How? Savannah, I'm going to go to you first. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, we've got to start somewhere, and you're just so lovely. Uh, so, so why do you do that? Um, I don't know, because I think it's just the music that I tend to like. I... Either it's just the type of music, um, like Mumford and Sons, like they're not Christian, right? But I like there's their some music. There's Christianity in there there's somewhere. There's some, but you know, there's also a lot of F-bombs, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, I just want you to hear. Where, did you hear what her answer was? I don't know. Can I just tell you, that's cognitive dissonance. This is a, this is a brain, and that's not a critique at all. This is a way of thinking that doesn't try and match those two things. You see, it's not even, that's not even the point. And for you to press on that button is for them to say, why are you pressing on that button? Do you think I'm so stupid that I can't? Oh, so go ahead. Somebody else handle this. Somebody else want to answer it. Go ahead, Andrew. Can you repeat the question? Well, just, just why do you listen to that kind of music and how do you handle it? How do you reconcile it with your faith or do you at all? I have three general I don't, I don't like hearing my own voice. I'm sorry. It's whatever. Um, I have three general reasons why I listen to music that may or may not have questionable content or whatever have you. One, I like the way it sounds just while I'm doing something else. For example, while I'm programming or at work or whatever. Uh, two, because uh, just gain perspective on how other people process and see the world. Yeah, like what was the third? You said there was three. That's true, I did. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> That's all right. I, I used right. too many ands, so I got two into the three. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Somebody else take this. Let, let's just go. Let's move into movies and stuff like that. How many of you go to R-rated movies? I do. Well, I mean, just in general. How many of you would think it would be? A, how many of you would look at the rating before you went to the movie? Would you think about that? No. You would? Tim, why would you do that? Well, I mean, with most things like music or movies... I mean, I assume that basically everything out there is going to have questionable material, and I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that I'm just going to enjoy the enjoyable parts and not worry about that. But with like movies, for instance, or even music, there's some point where you cross a line, you cross a boundary, and you're not willing to go that far. Yeah. And so with music, movies, it's easier to see because you can just look up the rating or like you can look up what's actually in the movie. Um, and you can be like, oh, this, this does cross the line for me, or oh, it doesn't just morally. Music is a little bit harder, because a lot of times you really have to study the lyrics, or 
some things you might be more comfortable with or less comfortable with. So music for me, I just say screw it and now, just don't worry about it. Now, Tim, uh, again, honest answer. Thank you for answering that. Honest answer. Uh, there would be people in the old days, which is how we would think of it, that would be in holiness-type movements, and they would say, anything that you take in is having an effect in you, so don't take any of that in. Would that have any resonance with you? Or, uh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that it, it probably does have an effect on you, but at least, like, especially when you were saying, like, advertisements and stuff, this is an easy way of saying it, because I've, I've been around it so much that it just all gets filtered out. Like, advertisements on Facebook, Google, I don't even really see those. I don't really know how they make money off of them. You never click on them. Everyone knows they're just there, but no one cares about them. They're just ignored, and that's how a lot of things in music, music or movies are. You just... You know they're there, you see they're there, and you just ignore them. They, yeah. Because you're so used to them being there, you just filter them out. I want to I add a thought. If you wanted to listen to music, if you wanted to go to music, you could find Christian music. If you wanted to go to a movie, you want to go out, have some popcorn, have a date night, go out. What would you go and see? Maybe a kid's movie? Right? Yeah. You know, but, but, but you see, that, I mean, you're, there's a selection, and, and television right now, how hard is it to find a show on television that doesn't have something that is objectionable? Seriously so. So if you're going to watch television, there's an issue here. Yeah, I, I want to tell you, even country did this. Country, for the longest time, had a lot, a lot of God in their songs. And they, they specifically tuned that down because they wanted it to be party because they felt it would be a bigger market and sell for them stronger. I'm going to, I just, I, I already kind of are seeing it, aren't you? You're kind of seeing this. What, they, what they're doing is, you know, the old saying is, is women are from Mars and men are from Venus, but, but uh, the other way around. Uh, but what they're saying is waffles and spaghetti, men compartmentalize. But one of the things that you could already see up here was compartmentalization. Can you see that? They're just, we're just compartmentalizing things. We just say, I know it's a problem, but I'm discerning. There are lines that I don't cross. I don't go, there's a lot of things I won't watch. There's a lot of things that people in here would think I shouldn't be watching. But to me, I'm aware of them. I'm thinking about them. But I'm, did you see what I mean? They're, they're just saying, so they're doing it. But okay, let me, I'm going to take you into a, a whole other realm here. Watch this one. You guys all are rich enough to own a fourplex, okay? Each one of you individually, okay? You own an apartment complex. A gay couple comes and wants to rent from you. How many of you rent to them? Be honest. Yeah. How many of you rent to them because it's the law and how many of you, you see what I mean? Anybody would rent to them, and that's the only reason you'd rent to them, otherwise you wouldn't rent to them? Now, do you see that? There wasn't one hand that went up. Okay, that's not, I'm not, this isn't a judgment thing whatsoever. I'm just wanting to point out something. 
If I were to ask the same question here, how many of you, would you be honest enough to be honest back? How many of you, a, a gay couple came and you would not rent their apartment to them? How many of you would do that? You would not rent the apartment to them. See? Now, even people that want to raise their hands and they're struggling with it are going, I don't know how to handle this. So let me make it much worse for you. Okay? Now you have a big house and it has a mother-in-law apartment. So it's not an apartment complex that you own somewhere else. It's your house. All right? Now, think about it. Just tell me. Raise your hands again. How many of you would, would rent to the gay couple? Let's do it that way. Would rent to the gay couple? It's your house. I think it depends on what kind of room. Here, go ahead. At that point when you're living in my home, it would depend on what kind of roommate you would be. I'm not going to not rent to you because of your sexual orientation. I could actually view having a gay couple, if they were going to be decent roommates, in my home. And I could be like, hey, look, I'm a Christian. I don't suck at life. How about you come to church? Like, how are things going? Like, I could use that as an opportunity to evangelize to them. Now, if they're going to come in my house and be up till 2 a.m. smoking pot and partying, no, I'm not going to rent to you because you're a terrible roommate. Okay. That's good. Go ahead, somebody else. Somebody else. Matthew, go ahead. Oh, I... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was there. Yeah, yeah, I can't actually see myself actually renting out a mother-in-law mother apartment. I just keep it for myself. But um, I'd have to, to go with the same... Well, yeah, of course. I'm yeah. young. I'm allowed to be. Um, but yeah, it really depends on the kind of people they are. I mean... I just interesting. Liz, what would you do? Uh, same. Uh, yeah, pretty much what Amber said. Um, if they're the kind of people that would be willing to be friendly with you and be like, yeah, hey, like, I'm okay with you being a Christian, and that's really cool. But it really is, it's not, I don't look at it as, like you were saying, the sexual orientation. It's really about, uh, are you tolerable? Like, I, I'll have to be living with you. Right. So... I got it. Christy, this is for you. So we, we put up a judge that said a thing, and what he said was, he said, I'm not going to judge you for what you do. I'm not, gonna, I'm not your, your God. I'm not your moral compass. I'm not anything. The one thing I just do want to say is, don't ask me to participate in your sin. Now, so what does that mean to you? You've, you raise your hand. You said you would raise to him and the mother-in-law or whatever. But, but my bottom line, how do you process that comment that he made and this? Go ahead. I realize that's a little confusing, so just yeah, try. Can you like summarize it really quick? Yeah, what I'm trying to say is, is this guy was the, the judge was making the argument of whichever you want to do, you can do. I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying if you want me to participate in you doing something that I believe is against God's will, don't ask me to help you do that. So go ahead. How, how would you handle that in this case of the mother-in-law apartment? I was not one of the people who raised my hand oh. for that. So for me, because it's under my house, under my roof, I would feel like I would be contributing to it. It's closer to home, and like it would be more of a daily interaction with them. Okay. And I would feel like I'd be supporting that lifestyle. Whereas if it's just like a distant apartment, it's like tons of people are there. It's not close to my okay. life. and. I don't feel like I'm on a daily basis interacting with it. them and supporting that as closely. Josh, would you like to take a stab at it too? How would you process this? Um, 
I probably wouldn't, like Matt, I probably would just, unless it was someone I already knew, uh, I probably wouldn't just rent out a, any place local. Right. I'd only do it to friends who I'd want to get to know even more or something. Right, right. Okay, question for everybody. Mother-in-law case. How many of you would be uncomfortable with that? Raise your hands. Do you see? Do you see how different things are? That's, all we're, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do something here. Now, now let, me, now let me, right? I'm really throwing you guys a bone here, okay? What if God gave you a word and told you that their only exposure to him, their only chance, or not even their only chance, let's just say that what God said to you was, is if you rent, it to, if you rent to them, that is going to be one of the primary ways in which I will be able to speak to them. I'll be able to interact with them through you. Now let's ask the same question. If God had said that to you, he didn't say do it or not do it. He just told you that. Now how many of you would, be, would say, how, how can I ask the right question so that I don't embarrass anybody? No, because he wasn't asking you to rent to him. That's not the scenario I'm giving right now. I'm giving a totally different scenario. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm not taking anything from the audience because I, I brought everybody up here, so, so sorry. But, but what I am asking is I just want to show of hands, and I just want to say, how many people, if God said that to you, would go ahead and rent? Even if you were uncomfortable with it, we'd go ahead and rent to that person. Do you see that? It was almost the same amount of hands that went up as the first time. See what I mean? When all of a sudden we start putting it in that light. And it was very interesting that that's the, now watch this. Because this is what's cool about what's happening. This is the first place that they went. Did you hear that? The first person that spoke on this said, it's not about the orientation, it's about the person. And it's about whether or not I would have any access to them. Because what if I could witness to them? What if I could show them Christ? What if I could, what if I could, what if I could? Okay? Right? Okay, let's do another one, okay? I talked about cognitive dissonance, okay? Cecil and the dentist, okay? Um, truthfully, honestly, how many of you would say that dentist probably ought to lose his livelihood for that? I mean, that's what's happening right now. He's losing his livelihood. How many of you would say that dentist should lose his livelihood? Nobody would say that? Now, how many of you would say the majority of your friends would agree with you? What would your friends say? I get that they would be, what's that? Hang them out to dry. They would say hang them out to dry. If you look at my Facebook page, everybody's like, ah, oh, blood. I'm like, come on. Go ahead, say that again. My Facebook page, everybody's like, oh, justice for Cecil or Cecil or, oh my gosh, I watched The Lion King too many times. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just... Like, fine him. Like, fine him an insane amount for luring an animal off of a wildlife preserve and illegally poaching him. And, you know, if he can continue his practice after the hefty fine, so be it. Like, huh. costing him his job is not accomplishing anything, except you can pat yourself on the back. Andrew, what would your friends? They'd probably say something similar to, you know, like, our aggression towards him. I actually only learned about this on Friday, and I don't know when this all occurred. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I don't... And yeah, I, I only read a little bit more about it because it was on the sermon when I was going through the notes. I'm like, oh yeah. 
Um, so I don't have a good answer for you. Tim, you said that you, would, you don't think that he should lose his livelihood. Would you say that, go ahead. I also don't think he should lose his livelihood because. Okay. You said he shouldn't lose his livelihood. Would you say that your friends would agree, as their friends would, that they would, or that would they be more likely to say, just crucify him no matter what it takes? Uh, no, I think I run in slightly more conservative crowds. <laughs> okay. And um, so they wouldn't be saying that? N no, no. I think my, my friends mostly value people more than they value animals for the most part. I, I love the way that you think. So let me, let me push a button here again, okay, and take it to a deeper place. Uh, if you don't cause something to happen bigger than a fine, how do you really set an example for all the other people? You know, poaching is a major, major, major problem. You know, we're, we're, we're losing species right now, not because the laws aren't in place, but because they're essentially unenforceable, which means that they're not being enforced rigorously enough to raise the cost of the behavior to a place that people would actually stop poaching. This is a major problem in the world with animals and, and the animal kingdom. So when I put that in there, does that change your thinking at all? Does it make you say maybe you do go ahead and put a, an example out there in the world and, and let them go through something much harder? Or does it not change your opinion? Um, no, all that makes me think is that whatever laws or government or even just the social culture in the relevant areas are incompetent or not actually behind the, the movement. Um, I don't think that making an example like that, it doesn't, it doesn't, no matter how much you find one person, if the problem's obviously been going on for a long time or it's, people are pretty aware that animals are going extinct and it still happens, obviously the approach is completely wrong. Now, I love what you're saying, and let me catch the undercurrent of what he's saying, because this is true, and I want you guys to show. How do you guys feel about the future? Do you have hope for things like that? I mean, people are, people are breaking the law. They're getting away with it. How do you feel about that? Does that, does that cause you to, to rise to another level, or do you feel sort of fatalistic about it? Savannah, do you, you, know, do you just sort of go... What can you do as an individual? So I'm just going to sort of take care of my corner of the world or my, or what do you do? How do you, how do you handle this? I feel like uh, our generation is a lot more aware of, you know, just respecting the planet and, you know, the earth that we inhabit and being eco-friendly and that whole movement. I think we're way more aware of that. And so I, I'm actually hopeful for the future. I know there's a lot of countries who don't care, so there's, that's kind of out of our control, I feel like. But as far as what we do have control of, I think you know, we're doing a good job of uh, respecting, I guess. I want you to put a pin in what she just said. I feel like our generation is much more aware. I want you to put a pin in that because we're going to come back to it in one second. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, do you feel like your generation, they're, they're more aware, but do you feel like your generation is actually doing enough to make a difference? I think so. I think they're trying anyway. I don't know. That's a hard one. Yeah. yeah. Anybody else? Go ahead, Christy. I think because our culture moves so quickly, people jump on a hype train and then it just leaves really fast and just they don't stick with things long enough to make a lasting change. 
So like with Cecil the lion, it's going to be here for maybe another week and then people will forget and move on to the next big hype. Now, so we have the passion and the ability to create great change and we have the knowledge to create great change. We just don't have the ability to stick with something. Did you remember what the last. title of the Brooks article was? Did you remember what the title of the Brooks article was? What's that? Building attention span. There, there would be a, there'd be a paraphrase. Let's, let's just rephrase it based on what Christy just said. Building sustaining, you see what I mean? Building sustainability, building, building longer attention spans, longer sticking with it. Isn't that exactly what we're saying here? See what I mean? And I love, the, I love your answer here. Okay, we're going to do another one, and then we're getting close to wrapping up. Okay, put, coming back to the pin, and I'm not going to ask you because that would put you on the spot. I really, I want an honest answer, and, and you're going to raise your hand on this one because you're on, you're on your own here, okay? How do you feel about what older people think? Not just you, but how do your friends feel? Are they hopelessly out of touch? Earlier I said that I asked these people, I begged you, I, I did everything I could to say, please be honest, because people need to hear People need to hear the disconnect that's happening between the generations right now. Because you are, and was I right to say that even amongst your friends, and I'm talking the good ones, not the ones that don't give a rip, but the, but the ones that you consider to be good people, that they, is it true when I say that they sort of put on a little bit of whatever in order just to be, in order not to make a big deal about it? They, they don't actually agree with what the older person's saying, but they just sort of, is that true? Does that happen? Is this real? Out of, the <laughs> Out of the decent people I associate with, not so much. No, they tend to be pretty honest. I mean, they may politely phrase things. They won't be really aggressive and in your face, but yeah. I would consider them to be pretty genuine, genuine people. I do know a lot of people my age that are like, oh, yeah, they're old, they're out of touch, like, just get them off your back. It's like, well, that's not very respectful of another human being. That's right? really an interesting answer. That is. Somebody else on this. Go ahead. Matt, did you want to? Go ahead. So I have a lot of friends who are, they are respectful and they don't, they don't just, you know, say what, what people want to hear, but I know a lot of people who, you know, have that belief that, okay, we'll just put up with you and then, then you'll be dead and then we'll be able to talk about our stuff. How many people have heard that before? Because if you haven't heard that before, you're not talking to young people because they say it all the time. But Did you hear what he just said? The way that we think about you is you're going to be dead and then it's not going to matter. See what I mean? It's already done. And I'm not kidding you. The LGBTQ issue, this is exactly that. What they say is, is we, we get that you're going to, we're not going to argue with you about it. We're just going to wait for you to die. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, but I think the, the issue that we have with that is, you know, the people in my generation who are thinking like that don't realize that that's the exact same thing that's going to happen to them because they're going to be standing up here <laughs> and looking at young people who are like, yeah, just, you're going to be dead soon. Just, just roll over. Who else wants to take a stab at this? Liz, would you like to take a stab at it? How is, go ahead. Um, well, one I thought was true, how you pointed out how we do answer the way we know that you will want to hear it. And also, I come from a family where my parents got divorced when I was five, so I learned how to talk to different people. I learned how to get what I want from which parent. Sorry, guys. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. But when you realize you have a different audience, well, all growing up throughout public school, you're taught through English to write to your audience. Who is your essay to? Where are you supposed to persuade? 
And that kind of sticks with you for each class you're in, who is your audience. So when you have to take your school stuff outside the class, who is your audience? Who yeah. are you talking to? What is your purpose? So when you go into each conversation with each person, my parents taught me how to respect your elders. My grandparents definitely taught me how to respect my elders. So I definitely know how to talk to adults and how to be able to respond politely. But if you're putting your foot down, I'll be like, okay, no, you are definitely right. It kind of depends on who you're who's your audience, who you're actually talking to. Now, how hard do you guys find that to be? Because I got to tell you, if you grew up in the 60s, the idea of being fake with somebody was the anathema. It didn't matter how rude you were to somebody. You would never, you would, the whole point was to be authentic, to be real. The whole point was to be yourself and to make sure that they knew it. You're not being fake, you're just being, you're just being, oh, you're holding back. Now, can I just say, you see the ways he's answering it? And do you remember what we were just talking about? Do you see how there's, a, there's that disconnect? What they're saying is, is no, this is just how you do that. I get that there's a problem between the connect on it, but I don't have to make the connect. Do you see it? I just have to get by. Now, now we're going to do one more, and can I just indulge on your... We're going to be, it's going to be, we're going to be out of here in seven minutes, okay? But we're right at the hour, and I'm really sorry, and I really will get you, but this is really good. I hope, I'm loving this. I'm thankful to the Lord. I've been praying about this a lot, because I was hoping that exactly what you guys are doing is what would happen here, okay? Because I'm telling you, this is going to make a difference in people's lives, how they interact, how they think about it, how they understand what you guys are actually thinking. So let me just do one more, one more, okay? How big a role... In what you think about things, do feelings play? Who wants to try? The feeler over here. I, <laughs> I think a lot through my feelings and how I think other people will feel about a situation. So my decisions are based on what I think is going to be best for others, not necessarily what's always logical or right. Right. So the point is, is whatever that sense of feeling is, that's the, that's the way that you're going to be. And you're going to work out all the other details, but they're not as important as logic or reason or anything like that, just as you said. This is a really hard answer, though, because it's going to be different for every person. That's true. Like how That's much very true because of processing. But I'm, I'm actually headed to a point on it. Would somebody else like to try it? Andrew? Okay. Amber? And then, Andrew, I'm going to come back to you. Sorry, I'm really chatty. I'm Kimberly's daughter. It was bad to happen. <laughs> it was inevitable. That's yeah. why we asked you. So I, feelings come into play, but I heavily base things in logic and reason. Like, okay, well, I don't feel like doing it. All right, well, let's step back. Your feelings, they don't matter right now. What is going to be the best outcome for all parties involved? And when you arrive at like, okay, I think this is going to suit everybody best, then you feel like that's the best decision. But if you just run through life willy-nilly like, I feel like doing this, I feel like doing that, I would probably be in jail How? if I operated like now, that. I'm going to ask a real question. How odd are you compared to your friends? Uh, like really weird. <laughs> Have you met me? Do you see yeah. it? Do you see what I'm saying though? Yeah. This, according to your friends, you, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. Finish speaking. Well, no, go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, again, voice. Uh, again, so the whole emotional thing, I have a tendency to be sometimes too logical. And I think it's, you know, part and parcel with my job. Like, I'm a programmer. 
I like to logically organize things and think of stuff. But at the same time, I am very aware of both, I try to be very aware of both my emotions and other people's emotions and how that interacts and how I do both communication and talking and planning and thinking because I think while being reason, reasonable and rational is important, so is other people and my own emotions. Yeah. It's kind of a... Okay, so here's the deeper thing that I'm going after in this one. If you feel a certain way about Cecil, let's just, let's just take Cecil. What if you found out, okay, Josh, I'm going to come to you first on this. What if you found out, and I, you're actually going to answer it the way that I probably shouldn't have picked you because you're going to be pretty logical, I think, about this. But here you go. No, it's all right. You get it. If you found out that the fees that are being paid, yeah, this guy did something bad. But if you found out that the fees that everybody who's involved in that industry, and let's call it an industry because it is, everybody who's involved in the maintenance of uh, uh, the, the species is telling you that these hunting things and the amount of money that they bring is allowing us to buy more habitat, to do more good, and to save the species better. If you found that out, would that change? How did you feel about Cecil to begin with? And would that information change how you think about it and how you feel about it too? Uh, well, I haven't personally followed much with the Cecil stuff, uh, like Andrew. Um, so I knew of it, but I haven't really done too much with it or even had many people talk about it. However, um, it wouldn't really change how I would think about it. I mean, I don't think we should be going around butchering these animals, even if it does somehow increase something, if that makes yeah. sense. Go ahead, Andrew. So Thank was, you, was, was this a poaching situation or not poaching? I'm a little bit confused by your question. I'm just saying, if you found out that the, that the industry that has to do with hunting that all the people who are involved in taking care of these lions is saying the money that they bring in is causing us to be able to actually do better by sustaining the species. We buy more land for them to graze in. We are able to support them better. We're able to guard against poaching better because we can hire agents and so on. This money is going to the preservation of the animals. So this is not a poaching situation because if it's so the way you're. I don't care about the poaching. Forget about the poaching. Okay, that's why I was trying to clarify. Yeah, because depending saying, on which one I'm you're saying. I'm saying if it, it bugs you, did it bug you that Cecil was killed? Just period, like Josh just said. It, in the situation where it was poaching, yes, it would, because none of what you just said occurred. Right. But I'm aware of other things where people go on um, African game hunts where when they uh, kill the animal, what happens is the meat gets donated to the village or whoever in the local area, and the money goes back to the village and area and conservation of the land and the. And does that knowledge change the way you feel about it? That's yes. what I'm asking. Yes. Now, do you think that you're unusual in your friends? Do you think with most of your friends that knowledge will change feelings? Depends the topic. I, people have a tendency to, on certain topics, be more emotional driven than uh, rational driven in general. It's weird talking in generalities. Okay. So I promise you seven minutes. I got two more. <laughs> We're going to take an offering. And, and uh, I think we'll probably won't do a final song. Greg, okay? But first of all, I want to thank you guys very much. Thank you. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay? I really can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I was hoping that you guys would do exactly what you did. I was hoping you'd be honest. I'd hope you'd be forthright and really let people see into it. I'm really hopeful that you guys found that to be useful because I want us to be the kind of people that are making a real difference in the world. So ushers, could you please come forward? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, would you please take
from our hands 